0: Hey, it's Konzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more, and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence.
1: Welcome
2: to The Baldcast. A production of John Konzano's Baldface Truth. I think he probably
1: has the quickest release of a a quarterback that we've seen. Um, His scrambling ability is bar none, you know, and, and it's not just... You know, scrambling, he just does not go down, right? The guy is really hard to tackle um, when you do get back there. You'll see people hanging on, on him, and he shrugs them off and creates an uh, an explosive play. But, yeah, his running ability and his quick release are, are two things that really stand out. He throws uh, the deep balls with great touch as well.
0: Dan Lanning talking about Cam Ward, the quarterback that he will face or his team will face on Saturday at Autzen Stadium. Here to talk about it, Spencer McLaughlin. He is our insider for 750thegame.com. You can read him there, and you can hear him now. Spencer McLaughlin, Cam Ward, how big of a challenge is that in the wake of Michael Penix Jr.?
2: Well, I mean, they're very different quarterbacks. You know, I think Ward's most explosive and dynamic plays don't come from the pocket all the time. He can make great throws from there, whereas Penix rarely makes a big play from outside the pocket. There's no right or wrong way to do it, John. It's just... They've got different styles, and I think that Ward presents a sort of challenge for Oregon's front four, which has vastly improved this year. They've already surpassed their stack total from a season ago. They've done it in less than half the games they played last year. So I, I think it's a really, really fun challenge, and Oregon fans should you know, remember how, how tough Cam Ward can be. He had a big game against the Ducks last season because he's just a really, really hard guy to get on the ground, the, the play that – in my head from that game is that fourth and, I think it was like fourth and six, fourth and five, I don't know, Washington State was being aggressive, and Oregon looked like they had him bottled up, everybody was covered, they had a quarterback spy on him too, and he just ran around, scrambled, and flicked it out to Nikia Washington as he was falling to the ground and picked up the first, and I, I think that's, you know, something that that he brings to the table that, that, that Penix does not, and that uh, Oregon certainly has to be ready for on Saturday. Dan Lanning
0: saying today that there was good energy at practice uh that, that his team you know has moved forward from the Washington game is there any concern in your mind that Oregon will show up a little flat or emotionally drained after losing to Washington
2: I had that concern before the season I I don't have it now and the, the reason is the way that that game played out yeah it, w- it was gut-wrenching for sure but It wasn't a game in which you ever felt like Oregon was outmatched or overpowered or they couldn't make stops or they were hanging on by a thread just to to stay in the game. You know, it it really felt like those were two evenly matched teams playing a a really thrilling college football game, and Oregon, unfortunately, just came out on the losing end of it. So I I think when you look at the quotes that Ranning has given and the quotes that the players have given, and, and not just what they say but the way that they're saying it, I think they have maintained a pretty high level of belief and confidence, and I think they should. And, you know, they're going to be playing in front of that home crowd for the first time in about a month on Saturday, and I think that helps fire them up as well. You know, I'm curious about Washington State's energy and motivation level right now with their two-game skid, which I definitely did not see coming. But I I think this is an opportunity for the Ducks to kind of remind everybody, hey, we're we're you know, we're not going downhill after the Washington game. We understand the goals that are still in front of us. And I, I especially like what Bo Nick said. If you know we can control uh, plenty about our season, get to the conference championship game, get to the college football playoff. And he's right. He's he's absolutely right. If Oregon wins out, they're in the college football playoff. No questions asked. A
0: few weeks ago, I was looking at Washington State and going, they could be a real disruptor. Now I'm wondering if the wheels are going to come off. This is a really important game for them. What do you think is wrong at Washington State?
2: Their offensive line is really struggling right now. You know, Cam Ward is a guy, as I said, that makes plays outside of the pocket. He also can make mistakes outside of the pocket or when he doesn't set his feet. I think a lot of his interceptions over the last couple of years have come when he, he doesn't look settled, he doesn't have his feet set, he's not in a good rhythm, and he's not making good decisions, and the offensive line has just been overmatched for the last couple of weeks, and, and frankly, to my surprise, the defensive line has been as well. I mean, you know, even go back to that Oregon State game, the Bees went up to Pullman, ran for over 240 yards, and, and they don't have a quarterback that's going to run a lot. DJ did run actually pretty well in, in that game, now that I think about it, but you know Arizona last week, and that's a good team that tries to be balanced for sure. They went for over 170 yards in Pullman, and I think that's the concerning thing. If I'm a Cougar fan going into this matchup, is well, Oregon's running the ball at a really, really high clip right now. Bucky Irving and Noah Whitting or, and uh, Jordan James, excuse me, in for Whittington are both over seven yards a carry on the season. They're just stupidly efficient and. I, I think that for Washington State, their offensive line's inability to pass block has caused a couple problems, but they've also got no balance, John. They have 47 rushing yards in the last two weeks combined. They, they had 12 in a game. Uh, I forget which one it was against uh, UCLA or Arizona. Like, you know, The game was on the line down in Los Angeles, and you needed a yard, and you go with the quarterback run, which I actually thought was, was a good play call, because you're trying to get yourself an extra blocker, an extra number in there, and, and they couldn't pick up a yard. And, and that's just, you know, why I you know, have this red flag because I'm a Washington State fan this week. Jake Dicker just said, you know, the 4-0 team is still in there. They haven't gone anywhere. They just, they're just not playing the best football they can right now. This isn't a game that Oregon can overlook for sure because Ward is capable of being a dynamic playmaker, as Oregon State fans know. But I, I think that Oregon is in a really, really good spot here on Saturday. Jake
0: Dickert, on my show yesterday, said this about Oregon.
2: Well, I think there's two, obviously, really high-powered football teams going at it at the highest level of competition. And it's, it's fun to watch, observe. You know, I think this Oregon team is very talented. But you see Coach Lanning just imprints on the whole roster and just the style and physicality in which they play. Uh, and you, you get a bunch of talented guys, and they play a bunch of them. Uh, playing that hard, you're going to get a lot of great success, and they have elite quarterback play. So you mix all that together, you get one of the best teams in the country. You know, analytics say this is the most uh, you know, points possession team in the country and, and the top five efficiency of
3: defense, so they're a complete team.
0: I hear Dickard a little bit as a defensive guy acknowledging the challenge that he will endure on Saturday. How important is it in your mind that Oregon plays well in the wake of the Washington game with everything that's ahead of the Ducks?
2: Well, I mean, you always want to come out and play well, but I, I think you know if there was a game where they might have a little bit of leeway, I, I think it's this one because you know Washington State, and I'm not predicting that, just saying that, like you know against Stanford, they didn't have a great start. It didn't end up mattering, and I don't think you beat Washington State 42 to six if you start slow. You only beat Washington State 42 to six if you start hard and fast and you you know put them away early, force some turnovers, and get a couple fourth down stops, but. Uh, I, I think that for Washington State in this game, you know, one way that you, you hear teams talk about all the time or media people talk about all the time is as they, how to slow down a high-octane offense the way that, you know, Oregon did to an extent against Washington or the way that USC has had done to them by Utah over the years is you got to be able to run the football. you got to be able to control the clock a little bit. You can't do that if you're only throwing it. And, you know, th- that's why I think this is a troublesome matchup for Washington State is – Oregon's offense is ridiculously balanced and efficient running and throwing the football, and they can't play possession. You know, I I think the game for the Cougars defensively, the game plan is going to be bend but don't break, try to hold Oregon to field goals in the red zone, maybe get them to go for it on fourth down a couple times. Apparently that's a good way to stop Oregon's offense. But I I, I think that it's it's a really, really tough matchup across the board for Washington State because they they don't really have a way – to keep Bo Nix on the sideline and also move the ball down the field to get points because of that just utter lack of a running game. I think their leading rusher last week had like 23 yards on the ground.
0: Spencer McLaughlin, our guest, you can read him at 750thegame.com as our Ducks insider. Bo Nix, I thought he played really well against Washington. I know everyone's pointing at the fourth downs and they didn't get him or you know the plays at the end of the game. I thought he pitched a really good game
2: yeah i mean it's hard to look at the numbers and and say otherwise i think he played an exceptional game and you know oregon didn't even need a perfect game from him just needed one more play and that's you know the the margin that that i was talking about earlier with regards to being on the field against a great team like washington and uh that's what it came down to you know i mean it, at the end of the first half lanning you know said he looked back in retrospect and how ah, you know we maybe should have taken a field goal there and you certainly see arguments for that in a game that you ended up losing by three and then on, on the flip side you know there was a questionable no call perhaps from uh on, on the fade route to Treshawn Holden but okay you're not going to get those 50-50 shots and he had Treshawn Holden open again later in in the sequence and he wasn't able to hit him he got a little rushed and then on the fourth and goal play you, you know I've heard a lot of fans question like oh man why you sprint now why this play call why that you go look at it from Bo Nix's angle. He, he just he just didn't pull the trigger. I, I mean, Troy Franklin is there running, you know, that hard comeback kind of back shoulder fade of, of of sorts to the to the near pylon, and Bo just has to let it go, and he just didn't for some reason. And uh, you know, or Oregon just needed one play. They needed one more play, and it's just asking so much from him. But uh, he he was awesome. He's been awesome, and you know, I, I've been talking on on Locked On Ducks all year long to to not take this guy for granted because he's playing at such a high level just the 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 completion percentage the taking shots down the field completing the easy ones for the most part though not entirely always having a calm presence out there I I never felt like Bo is panicked uh on, on Saturday I never feel like he's in a rush or in a hurry he just seems like he's in complete control out there and he, he's operating at such a high level. And this offense, you know, Coach Dickert talked about the efficiency. That that all starts with Bo Nix in both the running and passing games because he's, he's just executing everything at a high level, and he's an explosive playmaker to boot.
0: Six regular season games remaining for the Oregon Ducks. Saturday, home against Washington State. A week from now at Utah. Then home games in succession against Cal and USC. At Arizona State, November eighteenth, and then home against Oregon State. What's the toughest game left for the Ducks?
2: Um, is Cam Rising coming back? You going to get Whittingham to <laughs> give you an answer on that one? <laughs> Cause, uh, yeah, I mean, everybody's guessing at at, at that point. Um, yeah, a, a friend of mine has, has got some contacts at, at at the U Utah. That is and. You know they thought Cam was playing a couple weeks ago, and and then and then he just didn't. You know, and I mean that yeah. that's kind of the big mystery. And it doesn't look like he's playing this Saturday against USC, which is tough. But if Cam Rising plays, that Utah defense is so good, and Kyle Whittingham is such a good coach situationally, game plan. You know that the Utes are going to be really, really solid. On all of those fronts, so it's Utah if Cam Rising is there, but if it's not, obviously you're looking at USC and Oregon State, and I, I think the Bees are a tougher test right now. But I want to see how how USC plays this week because interesting note on the Trojans, John. I know everyone wants to wants to write them off. Lincoln Riley teams made the College Football playoffs three times in a row in 2017, 2018, and 2019. They lost one game amidst the season in which they were being asked questions about whether or not their defense was good enough. They lost one game that was anywhere from their fifth to their eighth game of the season. They lost their seventh game of the year last season to Utah and they had a bunch of defensive concerns and then they went on to win their conference and or at least appear in the conference championship game or come within spitting distance of the college football playoff and he made it three times to Oklahoma. I, I bring that up to say, I think everyone's looking at USC and saying they can't play defense. Well, no, they, they, they really don't. They don't play a lot of defense, and it's never been a part of Lincoln Riley's MO. But it never has been, and he's still won conference championships before. Like, Go look at the numbers that his teams allowed at Oklahoma. They weren't playing any defense. They were just outscoring everybody. And I know everyone's down on Caleb Williams right now, but I'm, I'm going to go out on a big limb here, John, and say that Caleb Williams is not going to throw three interceptions every game for the rest of the season. And I, I, I think that that USC offense has got a lot of weapons, and Caleb is amazing, and Lincoln's a great play caller. So um, I'll, I'll lean USC if Cam Rising is out. But if Cam Rising comes back to play for that Utah game, that's the toughest game on the schedule because uh, the Utes haven't lost at home with fans in the stands since 2018.
0: Spencer McLaughlin, I appreciate you. I will see you in the press box. You can read them at 750thegame.com. The question I asked in the 5 at 5, why is the college football season outshining the NFL? Help me with that. Why is it that the college football season seems more interesting right now than the NFL games? Can you put your finger on it? 503-417-7575. College football has given us some fantastic and memorable games to start this season. Why has the NFL not appeared to have been as Interesting. What is that about? I want you to tell me at 503-417-7575. Literally, what is that about? You tell me. Uh, Stephen. you've weighed in. I've weighed in. I want to go to the phone lines. Jim is in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports. Eugene, Jim, go ahead. What do you think it is?
2: John, I think the answer is simple. I said you just had an interview that lasted about 18 minutes. But 16 of that 18 was passion. It was talking about passion. And, you know, in college sports, we have passion. In professional sports, it's just the fat guy sitting on the couch on a Sunday doesn't have anything else to do (laughs) and trying to watch people run around in circles. I think there's even a rebuttal from Las Vegas, meaning the fact that if you're going to lose your money, you're going to lose it on Saturday, but you're going to get some excitement out of the whole thing. And, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is, I listened to your program for one reason: What? passion you talk about humanistic things, and I oh. think there's your answer.
0: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, he's talking about the passion of the game. The NFL. Does the NFL lack passion? Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Is he right, Stephen? I think he could. Be. I
3: think he's onto something. And this is what I've been talking about when it came to you know, the conference realignment. Was the thing college football has going for it is. You know the alumni and like the passion of that of that you know caller said right there. The fans, they have a true love for the game. The product is never going to be as good as it is in the NFL. The NFL just has better players and better athletes. Um, and so you're never going to match that. And so I don't like the fact that it seems like College Football is trying to go to like an NFL, uh, you know, mini minor system. Uh, you gotta you gotta embrace the passion. I think they've done that this season, uh, especially you know with the with Deion Sanders and the college football world all over that story, and then you look at uh, you know, Oregon, now everyone's on them, in Washington, and you you embrace the crowd. And Kirk Herbstreit even said it after the Washington-Oregon game. He said, look, I do Thursday night footballs. I do do Thursday night football on prime, and th- there's no atmosphere like it is on a Saturday when there's a big-time game. So I think that may be uh, one of the big reasons why, especially this season, when fans are really going for their teams because for a while there, especially here in the back 12 it was unknown where every team was going and what was going to happen to the conference. I love that. Is
0: it the passion? Is it that people are um, engaged in a different way with the, uh, with the college teams and the pro teams? You tell me, 503-417-7575. I have to, I have to ask Judah. If, you, if Judah's not too busy right now because he is an NFL guy, is there something to the idea that it is passion? Is it something else? Why have the college games delivered maybe more so than the than the NFL games?
1: I, this is interesting. I I don't understand the passion uh, argument. You see the. Fans face painted in the crowd. Like, I'm a Seahawks fan. You just take one look at, you know, the Seahawks stadium and say that there's not passion there? Like, to me, that doesn't make any sense. I I think this is one of those topics where it's we're in a college market. So, there's going to be a lot more college football fans that resonate, I think, with the college football product. And some of that, to me, is actually because of the, um, you know, in the NFL, everybody is so famous, so visible, and so... You know, everybody knows the narrative with every team going back decades. The, the college football game, it almost benefits from the fact that the players on an individual level, aside from a handful of quarterbacks, are not as popular. They're not as talked about. They're not as widely known on a day-in, day-out basis. They come up and, and pop up on your screen over, you know, 7 million people in the case of Oregon and Washington on an October Saturday once in a while. But these aren't Mahomes-level, even Russell Wilson, who's not good anymore, like namesakes uh, in, in homes. And I think that almost benefits college football from an attractiveness standpoint because now you're really just rooting for the brand. And the brand year over year, over decades and generations and families and coaches and quarterbacks. And that's where a more grassroots level of passion, I think, manifests. And it's a beautiful thing. But I'm not sure it's more passion. I don't know if it's quantifiable like that. Is it
0: different, though, because, you know, you didn't go to the University of the Seattle Seahawks, you know, and somebody somebody went to Washington. I don't know. Let's go to the phone lines. Joe in Portland. Joe, what do you think?
2: Hey, love the show. Just wanted to chime in. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a passion issue. I think that there's no single great storyline to really hold on to. So, like, Mahomes is not playing great. Um, some of the older quarterbacks are out of the league or hurt like Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you we we interrupt this podcast with a you special announcement from the Bald hey, Sorry Patriots. to interrupt the podcast,
0: but um, if you want to listen to more Story, of the Bald Face you know, Truth Radio Show, including exactly more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.